hope sometimes for hopeless individuals on his face could be looked upon as crazy. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. What's going on, Humanized family? We're back at this thing again. Um, it's the beginning of the year. We're a couple days in, and you know how we like to do. We like to take it back to the basics. It was just me and Emily sometimes, you know, like to switch it up with you. And also today is Martin Luther King's birthday, you know? And so in honor of Martin Luther King, in honor of us setting the standard for the year, we want to get right into the work. And today we're going to have a show about perspectives on four of Dr. King's quotes. You know, we're going to go into it, my perspective, coming from where I come from and how I view the world and how I view this work that we're doing. And the brilliant Emily is going to talk her perspective about the work that we're getting ready to do. So, um, Emily, let's get to it. Okay, okay. This is one of our shorter episodes, so we're going to just, just get right into it. So let's start with this quote. We are caught in an unescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. So when you hear that, I'm curious what that means to you. What do you, what comes up? I think about the brilliant Courtney. <laughs> you? With, yeah. No, no. No, no. Our, our goal. Well, I, I'm brilliant too. But no, the Courtney... <laughs> Courtney, um, our our guest that we had. Oh, Courtney Napier. Yeah, with um, white supremacy fucks us all. You know, this is what comes to my forefront of my mind when I heard that quote. You know, um, I'm thinking about so many times when we feel, when individuals feel as though they are removed from the threat and the, the hold of white supremacy. And, and others feel as though they're so entrenched in white supremacy that they have to live with it. Not knowing that both sides are oppressed by the oppressive system, it's just viewed in two totally different ways. So even back then, when King was talking about ways in order for us to really live, he tried to make it into a collective problem. But today, we try to make it to a separate issue. And then, then you build up saviorism and you build up individuals feeling guilty when none of those things are really needed today. What's needed is a collective understanding that white supremacy is something that affects us all equally and equally damages us for our future and the future of our kids and our future generations. And once we do that, I think that um, we'll be able to move in, in such a way that we'll be able to, we'll start to really dismantle the system that has been so um, oppressive for generations. Yeah, I think of that too. And I also, like, so this, he was saying this probably, what, 60 or 70 years ago, and how it's equally relevant now and then in that it is so far from the consciousness of most people, of most white people, how they're affected by the white supremacy culture, by um, the systems that are in place. And there's just so much, like, so much comfort. You know, like, I, I think of 
people who have a really hard time leaving an abusive relationship because it's comfortable. It's what they know, even though it's damaging, right? And so there's like this deep desire to just stay comfortable, even though they can have a sense of like something's wrong, right? Something is is not is not benefiting me. And I, I love the the imagery of a single garment of destiny that why are we pretending like there's multiple sides? Like I, in terms of, you know, that we're talking about hope in the time of hopelessness, like it's pretty hard to go into this election year right now, midterm election year, and not just feel like a gripping of like, oh, it's just going to get more divisive and more othering and more like, how can we, how can we win by putting people down? And, you know, in terms of bringing back Bobby Lefebvre and like the the idea of radical imagination, like what, what could we imagine for our country if we really felt and recognized that we are a single garment of destiny? Mm, and real quick, I, I also think of Stockholm Syndrome. You know, um, we're so we're such used to to things being a certain way that even when the door is open for us to escape, we we just look like I don't know what it looks on the other side. I don't know what freedom looks like. So guess what? I'm just going to stay here with with the the devil that I know versus what's on the other side, which is freedom. You know what I mean? So so that that audacity to um, to feel hope hopeful is is, is a real thing. Oh damn! We came out swinging. I like that. <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess it's my turn. Okay, your um, turn, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Every time I hear that, see that, you know, it, it gives me chills. But I would love to hear what you think about that. What comes up for you, Emily? Well, my immediate thought is just how. I don't have the citation, but like a group in Sweden has recently like reclassified the U.S. as like a starting to fail democracy. Like it's <laughs> we're slipping off the chart. <laughs> um, no. Yes. Yes, it's true. <laughs> if we don't let everyone vote and accept the results, then that is not a thriving democracy. Yeah. And I think of that within the justice system as well. There are some some cases to be highlighted from this year in terms of like our last year in terms of justice being served. There are other cases to be highlighted in terms of justice being self-propagating system of oppression. So in both those realms in justice and democracy, I think that, um, I mean, that's a hard place to find hopefulness for me right now. I don't understand how this... Um, kind of how I see it, this like inertia of building corruption is going to reverse without external help. You know, I'm kind of like, can we get the UN to come in and help us? <sighs> I always like to think about things, um, but it looks like that now, but what if? Instead of like dooms, I always think in like childlike hopefulness. I, I would fall on my face and be like, yeah, I fell on my face the 30th time, but maybe the 31st time, I'll figure out a way to walk, you know? And so this threat to justice is like a great starting place to really do something big, to really create history, to really create change. And, you know, um, as I think back uh, in the past, it's like, 
why are we still trying to convince individuals that everyone should have the right to vote easily? And, and like, why in 2022 are we still there? That alone should be a red flag that there is an issue. You know, we should be fighting on so many other things. So the threat of justice that is affecting everywhere is something that should have been solved in 1965 when individuals crossed Selma, when individuals died on that bridge in Bloody Sunday, you know, when individuals died fighting for the right to just cast a vote, you know? And so, as you said, we're, we're, we're teetering on the, the eradication of democracy like, that's something we laughed a little bit, but that's terrifying. It is terrifying. It is terrifying. It, yeah, it's definitely nervous laughter. Yeah. And so, like, when I think about a threat to justice everywhere, I get hopeful in the hopeless times that, if not me, then someone would say, you know what? Enough is enough. We got to figure something out and let's get to work, you know, and not make it a a partisan issue that everyone should vote for our next president or Congress or the Senate or something like, or, or just f- on federal level or mayor. Or they're, they're, it should be so easy to vote because this is a democracy. So that's just what came up for me when I heard that in this instance, and all of the systems of oppression always come up for me when I hear this quote, whether you're talking about healthcare, whether you're talking about housing, whether you're talking about mass incarceration, or whether you're talking about education, justice is not being served for the individuals that are affected by all of those systems. Because if some people feel like if justice is truly served, some will lose. So justice, whether individuals want to admit it or not, is totally against their comfortability. It goes against their lifestyle. So they they shroud it in, 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 and gaslight it in certain things to make sure that their lifestyle is held intact while trying to make it seem as though, why are we making a big deal out of an insurrection? Or why are we making a big deal out of changing certain things? Why is CRT a huge thing to talk about? Let Just let people live. Slavery happened back then. It's a better day. We're not inherently bad. Let's move on, you know. And so that's what I, that's that is what comes up for me with that with that quote from King. Now I know you have like one of the many brands that you have, and is one of the things is neighborhood hope dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I how how do you have so much hope? <laughs> I've asked you this many times before, but like I'm still just so curious. Like how how to stay optimistic in the light that 2022 is casting for the darkness? In short, I woke up this morning, I drew breath, and, I, and I'm in my right frame of mind. Well, that's, that's I don't know if I'm my, my right frame of mind, but I, I'm able to, <laughs> <laughs> to do thoughts. You're still speaking in English. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because hope sometimes for hopeless individuals on his face could be looked upon as crazy. Hope is a is sometimes a very crazy thing. And let's break down that quote. When I thought about that, I said, you know what? Yeah, everybody could be hopeful about something. But when you take it back to your neighborhood or are you so hopeful in and where you are, that infection can have a ripple effect to touch everyone else around you, which will touch everyone else around them, which will go further and further and further out. So I love to 
tackle issues with bites instead of looking at it. It's just a perspective. Like in med school, that's a lot of information. How do you how, how do you start to understand that? You start to look at it in pieces instead of looking at it as a whole. You know, so instead of looking at 2022 and everything that's happening on Omicron, we're talking about mental health issues. We're talking about marginalizations. We're talking about all of these things. We look at it as, you know what? All that exists. What doesn't exist is hope. Or, or what exists in small increments is hope. So let's match the same intensity with the the bad shit that's going on. And that's how I can smile after hearing bad news or having bad days. The next day I'm like, ha, all right, Courtney, we back. I have to find, I have to find that, or I will die. I will literally die. I it's it's a life and death thing situation for me. So when people see that hoodie and have the question, how do you have hope? Because you're not the first person to ask, I say it's a life and death situation because it goes back to the day when I was in my car. How am I gonna have hope while being hopeless while in medical school? I have to laugh. I like, yo, are you crazy? I am dressing from the inside of this car, walking to the hospital with a white coat. Boy, you are like I just I just had to use humor. Humor and hope. I got it, Courtney. You got it. Let's kill it. Let's another day. You walking, let's kill it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And that's how I feel about this, this, this podcast. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What next? Where are we gonna go? Everything. It's just hope and and, and a smile. Yeah. That reminds me of another. Martin Luther King Jr. quote that I found, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. That's a nice one. But here's here's the quote that I, I wanted to offer that just has so much to explore. He said, the Negro needs the white man to free him from his fear. The white man needs the Negro to free him from his guilt. <laughs> what do you make of that? Oh, so much. See, that goes into, like, again, the burden is now on me to make sure you're comfortable. Oh, yeah. Um, that That is what comes up for me. I would love to, uh, just for sake of time, we don't have that, to diverge more into the context of King's quote with that, you know, because, you know, like, what do you mean I need, the like, the white man needs me to make them feel better? Like, I would love to, because that's what's coming up for me. And maybe I just need better clarification. But on his face, I don't agree with that. Yeah. No, I mean, the the first part makes sense to me, you know, to free him from his fears in the sense of, like, to stop doing things that are oppressive, that harm Black people and keep them up at night. And, you know, like, that makes sense to me. But in terms of free him from his guilt, that doesn't. That doesn't resonate so much for me. Even the first part, like, why do you need me to free you? For like, what was that first? The very first part. The again? Negro needs the white man to free him from his fears. That's not. That's, that doesn't resonate. That right? No, not at all. I don't need anyone to free me from my fears. I need to be freed from my fears. Period. Hard stop. There is. You're going to be fearful. Again, a lot of times individuals feel as though they have to look outside of themselves to gain freedom. Freedom has to start with doing the inner work. And once like white individuals don't need us to free them of their guilt, they have to do the inner work to understand that we're not just black people. We're humans first that happen to have a preponderance of melanin. 
Like we're we're humans. And so you don't need any kind of education to know that cutting a child out of a pregnant mother is wrong. That's you, you like that's innate right or wrong. I don't need to tell you that that's the wrong thing to do. I don't need to tell you that trading a black man on a as on the stock market as commodity is a wrong thing to do. Yeah, there's no human you that know can't that. like if you feel that, right? It's just wrong. Yes. It's so so to deduce to say I need that for help. No, I don't agree with that. Your daughters were born with man, that just didn't feel right. I can't if I went out there and if 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 I had a child, obviously like not obviously, but the child would be black and your kids were there and they're white and they walked up uh, right off, they wouldn't just slap my kid. You know what I mean? Like, could that that would feel wrong. They wouldn't understand how to articulate it, but they're like, that just doesn't feel right. Yeah, my four-year-old has a, a moral compass that would tells me what's fair, and, you know, tells her what's fair and unfair. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't exactly. just go away. And so I have a little pause with that one right there. Um, I, I don't think the education that he's speaking of going back and forth between black and white individuals is needed for that. I think the education that's needed has been one that's superimposed because race has been superimposed. If race was never a construct in the U.S., we would have to be taught how to treat black people or brown people. How do you like, or indigenous individuals or gay people or straight, like why you have to be taught not to kill someone for who they love? If you're a gay man and you love a man, why am I going to go into your house and kill you because you love a man? That is, I, I don't have to be taught that. Right. No, you don't. I, yeah. And so that's where I am, I am with that. That's interesting. In terms of the, the white man needs the Negro to free him from his guilt. When I read that, it brings up the whole conversation about CRT in schools and parents being concerned about their kids, their white kids feeling guilty. And certainly to me in reading that, I'm like, that doesn't resonate, that being freed from the guilt. It just needs to, the the white man needs to grapple with the guilt. What I am starting to see is like the intergenerational guilt of like the great atrocities that have been committed and the shame and guilt that go with that, that are in our system. The white people need to free themselves and heal themselves for what's been done. And to reconcile and move forward and remember that we are, you know, in the single garment of destiny. And um, and it's not easy. It's a tall order because it's like intense emotional complexity in a very busy time and a very divided time. But yeah, I'm with you on this, 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 this one not really resonating. And and I think we should go back. You know, I, I pulled this from a website. We, we should go back and explore, you know, what was the context in which he was saying it? Because there's probably, uh, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt, there's probably more context to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because someone has revisionist history doesn't make the, 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 the revising of the history true, you know? And that's the thing about white supremacy. It's so powerful that it can make it think as though, you know what? Slavery was just a bad chapter. No, slavery was something that created this company, this company we call the U.S. Like, it's not just a bad thing that happened. It's the DNA. And sometimes, you know, like, that, it, it, 
if I have alcoholism in my DNA, that means I have to do certain things to make sure that I don't become an alcoholic. That doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me evil. It just makes it so that I am predisposed more to alcoholism. This country is predisposed more to hate because it was built on hate. That doesn't make white individuals wrong. That doesn't make white people bad people. It just makes it a fact that at the inception of our country, individuals that do not look like me benefited on a whole culture of individuals to build this country. And it was done in a very inhumane way. Very. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is what it is. Honesty is liberating. The first part of it, you know? And so, yeah. Last quote for us? Yeah. Okay. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that... What comes up Well, what we just said there of, like, the honesty of being, being honest with what happened and then... Moving forward with that in a in an honest way and not saying being silent. There's so much silence happening right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're not going to go into it, but we're being silenced right now in terms of some work that we're trying to do. It's coming from parts of <laughs> the Colorado government. Um, so yeah, it's this the silencing of voices and perspectives, and it. Yeah, it'll kill us, right? I mean, it, and it has. It, yeah. it has killed us. Yeah. You know, um, individuals have been silenced. I mean, we can give you a myriad of names of of individuals and leaders that have been, lives have been cut short because they had to be silenced. Because Martin Luther King, things, <laughs> for oh, example. Fine, in honor of Martin Luther King, you know, and, and, and that is why, you know, when we think about hope during hopeless times, we cannot lose hope because once you lose hope, you become silent. That is the thing. Like you can kill a person, but you can't kill hope. Hope is like a church bell. Hope is like something. That's why a lot of times when slaves rebelled in the South, they had to, they couldn't just shoot a person and kill them. They had to send a message. Individuals had to kill them in such a bad way. Like, because now that the revolt happened, other people are hopeful and have uh, hope creates ideas. Hope sparks certain things. They're like, oh, so we have to make sure that we crush your hope because your hope speaks volumes sometimes. And what has to happen in my life is I have to always yell. Whether I'm saying a word, this is why T-shirts, I love T-shirts because I love a good T-shirt because I can walk into a room, stand at the back of the wall in all black, white print T-shirt with a hat, very indescript. And I could be yelling back there. People are like, yo, that dude is, is screaming with a microphone, neighborhood hope dealer. I got to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. Humanized podcast, social, like if we just stood back there and did that, that like when you're when you're so full of hope, is A, it's infectious, and B, it's it's sometimes deafening. It's it, it induces curiosity, and, and that is such a breeding ground for change. And 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 when individuals, whether they want to admit it or not, 
are like, you know what? Either I like this person or I have to kill this person because if they continue on this hope, things might actually start to change for the better. And this is why I always say we have to match the intensity of individuals who are spreading hate and division. Because if you match the intensity with love, love will always win. But love, sometimes you you got to look like you, you kind of have to be vulnerable. You know, if you're married and you say you love someone, you're vulnerable. You're exposed now. Love exposes you. So you can be silent and die, but you're safe and you're comfortable, or you can be vulnerable and hopeful, and you also may die. But I promise you, the legacy that you leave with the love and the hope will will, will create change in other individuals to continue the work. Because we're still talking about Martin Luther King today on his birthday and giving him um, 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 honor um, with the legacy um, that he that he that he did, and so like I, I with this episode, man, I, I, I is timely. Um, hope during uh, hopeless times, and I, I just I'm ready to match that intensity. Yeah, well, thank you for you're always spreading hope to me. It is infectious, and so I I feel Likewise. very grateful to be partnered up with you in this. So thank you so much, ah, man. Let's get it. <laughs> All right, thank you. So we have a request for everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, can you share it with one person you feel like would benefit from a message of hope today? So that would be great. We really appreciate that. Spread the hope around. Have a great day, everyone. Peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.